Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, it's the Penn State Blitz podcast. I'm Bob Flounders in the studio, as always, with Greg Pickle. Greg, we're going to talk about Penn State's new defensive line coach, John Scott Jr. We're going to talk about the new look Penn State assistant coaching staff because there's four new hires. We're going to talk about Matt Leingrover's move to another Big Ten football program in the Big Ten East. And we're going to close with the Penn State football mailbag, as always. I mean, that's what we do. Okay, it looks like all of Penn State's coaching vacancies are filled. I'm not completely sure. Greg Pickle, can you maybe you might have a, a little bit more of an insight on that. But John Scott has been tabbed by James Franklin to replace Sean Spencer, who took the defensive line coach job with the New York Giants. That's four changes by my count, Greg, in a very, very busy offseason. Let's just talk about what we know about John Scott. Yeah, pretty fascinating hire for James Franklin. Clearly not Penn State's top target. You know, they went after Elijah Robinson, right. who played at Penn State. I believe you covered him when he was at Penn State. I did. Thanks for making me feel older. Sure. A guy that really appreciate they uh, has really become one of the best defensive line coaches in the country, Bob. He's recruiting very well, too, especially in New Jersey, a place that Penn State's kind of been hit or miss over the last right. few years. So. He was certainly their top target, a guy that, you know, I think that Jimbo Fisher realized he had to keep him on staff at Texas A&M. So they surely backed up some significant money to keep him on campus. Penn State had to move on. With John Scott Jr., I, I think the most fascinating thing, Bob, is the fact that Brent Pry had a pretty big role in this decision. I don't think there's any question about that because Brent Pry not only coached John Scott Jr. when they were at Western Carolina, they were also on staff together at Louisiana Lafayette when John Scott Jr. was a graduate assistant. And then Pry was the defensive coordinator at Georgia Southern when John Scott Jr. was the defensive line coach there. So these two have been connected for a pretty long time. And I think that it's just interesting that most of the time when James Franklin finds a new guy, there's someone on his staff connected to them. But I don't know if we've seen somebody this closely connected to a current Penn State coach the way that Scott Jr. is with Brent Pry. I mean, and since we mentioned Brent Pry, we probably should also throw out the fact that he was a, Greg, he was a serious candidate for the Michigan State job uh, vacated by longtime Michigan State coach Mark D'Antonio. I think they eventually, I believe, we never know with Michigan State, but right. as of now, Mel Tucker, the Colorado coach who wasn't interested, then suddenly became interested again, is now believed to be the new Michigan State coach. But Greg, it sure sounds like uh, Michigan State took a pretty long look at Brent Pry, who's been up for other jobs too. Yeah, I think that you know Penn State has compensated him well uh, during his time here, and I think certainly more so over the last couple of years as they've worked to up the amount of money they have to spend on not just coordinators but assistant coaches in general. So, yeah, I don't know how serious of a look Michigan State gave him, seeing that they had a flight planned for State College and then it never ended up making it to State College. So I don't know if. Brent Pry just rebuked him or if that was some <laughs> tactics that Michigan State was employing. But yeah, interesting. I'll be fascinated to see how much money they gave Mel Tucker because clearly he said no once 
And then he went back to the, you know, they came back to the table and they must have gave him an a amount lot. of money that the answer he just is a lot could correct. not have said no to. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But to me, it, Michigan State is going to go through a little bit of a rut here. I just don't oh, yeah. see any way around. I mean, they've kind of been a rut anyway, but it certainly won't hurt Penn State, I don't think, to have one less perennial Big Ten East title contender on that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's probably worth mentioning before we look at the James Franklin's uh, coaching staff overall with the, the moves, Brent Pry is now the only coach left over on the assistant side from James's 2014 coaching staff. That came I, from Vanderbilt anyway. Yeah, that came from Vanderbilt. Should we be surprised by that, or is that just the way of the world when you finally – get a program that's consistently maybe top 10 or top 15. Yeah, I think that's just the way it goes. I mean, we've seen some guys leave for promotions. We've seen other guys leave for jobs that they thought were promotions. I'm thinking of Bob Shoup going to Tennessee. And we've Shoopster. seen guys, um, you know, be let go or yeah. fired or yeah. whatever when James Franklin felt like a change was, uh, you know, needed to be made. So, yeah, I think it's just the way of the world anymore. There's so much money out there to hire coaches with, especially at the Power 5 level. And, the 65 teams that uh, make that up, you know, there's 30 to 35 of them that have more money than most of the rest combined. And they are not afraid to go spend money for the kind of guys that James Franklin has identified more often than not to be his assistant coaches. So then you add in the allure of the NFL, which mm-hmm. Sean Spencer, of course, was drawn into. And yeah, it to keep a staff together for a long period right. of time is just very difficult. And he has kept his defensive staff together for quite some time. Lose Sean Spencer, but, you know, Tim Banks here since 16, Pry here since 14, Smith here since 14. Right. And you could argue that that's probably a big reason why that group has been so good for much of the last six seasons. Offensively, it did feel like it was time for a reboot. And outside of Tyler Bowen and Jaywan Sider, they have just that. Okay, so let's look now at the coaching staff uh, in terms of the changes. There's been four of them. Kirk Sharaka. Redland grad, so he gets points in our book. Yep. The Minnesota offensive coordinator last year did a great job with the Gophers, carved up Penn State's defense in that win in November. He becomes Penn State's OC after Ricky Ronnie leaves for the Old Dominion head job. We mentioned John Scott. Phil Troutwine was uh, hired by James. It wasn't like a coach left. He was not brought back. Matt Limegrover, the head, the head line coach on the offensive side since 2016, Contracts up. James decides to go in a different direction. So Phil Troutwine coaches the offense, and Taylor Stubblefield replaces Jared Parker. Yes. Uh, last year's wide receivers coach, now the OC at West Virginia, Taylor Stubblefield, who played at Purdue, a wideout there at Miami last year, is now hopefully Penn State's wideouts coach for more than a year because right. he needs some stability there. When you look at him compared to last year's group, do you think Penn State's kind of – made a move ahead in terms of a net gain on on the coaching staff? I think overall it would be hard to make any other argument that it's not a net gain, at least on paper. We'll see how it actually works out in practice once these guys hit the field in September. But, you know, Kirk Scirocco comes in with more of the Joe Moorhead kind of mindset of, I know how to run my system, I'm willing to blend in some of what you do well, but I know what buttons I want to press, right. and I've done it for a long time with success. With Ricky Ronnie, we talked about it before, but it just always felt like, and I do think he got more blame than he deserved for some of the shortcomings of the offense, but it still felt like he was trying to operate Joe Moorhead's system without the, you know, gut feeling and things like that that you need to make that system work. Kirk Scirocco brings that with him, so I think that's a step forward. With Phil Troutwine, I think he has more of a 
sense of how the modern offensive lineman needs to play and right. needs to be coached. It's not really anything against Matt Limegrover, but we'll talk about him in a second. The fact uh-huh. that he does not move on to an on-field job might tell you all you need to know one way or the other about that move. And then with the other two guys, I think the jury's out a yeah. little bit more, especially with Stubblefield. You know, yeah. Jarrett Parker was only here a year. It's hard to really gauge what Penn State gained or lost there. Stubblefield comes in and you're expecting to gain stability. So I think that's a role. But uh, finally, then with uh, John Scott Jr., you're going to have to say that it's at worst uh, a trade, I think, because I don't think you can call him an upgrade over Sean Spencer right now. Can't do it. And I don't. I won't do it. I hesitate to call him a downgrade because we don't know enough about him at this point. And he's got to prove it, though. I think Sean's reputation. I I, I think that you're right when you say the jury is out on him because, I mean, Sean left a very nice legacy at Penn State with uh, player development and recruiting. So, yeah, I would say I don't know where you're at with that, but to me, overall, it is a net gain heading into the 2020 yep. season, albeit with some pretty important things for at least two of the guys to prove. Yeah, two notes. I think I really think when you when we listen to James Franklin talk about why Matt Limegrover wasn't retained and why he decided on Phil Troutwine, talked about Phil Troutwine's story, Talked about the fact that he's a talented guy, but also an overachiever, which speaks to his work ethic. I think he also values him as a recruiter a little bit more than maybe he valued Matt. I think we'll see the next couple of years whether or not they can get some four and five star offensive linemen in here, uh, whether or not James's decision uh, was justified. And I think, I think in fairness, you talked about Ricky Ronnie getting, you know, some criticism that might not have been deserved. You know, it's really not easy to break in as an OC at a top 15 program. Right. You know, Joe Moorhead, you know, he, he he came to Penn State, but if you look at his resume, he had a lot of stops before he got to Penn State. Same with Kirk Shiraka. I mean, he he actually coached Joe Flacco at Delaware. He's He is, you know, a guy that's put his time in. I, I think maybe James looking back on it, I don't know if R- Ricky had some experience, but not really maybe on the hot seat as an OC at Penn State when you're trying to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. And I think that he might be a much better coach down the road. He's going to have to be as a head coach. But I just think that that was really a trial by fire, I think, for Ricky. And maybe he, he just might have not been quite ready for it. Are we ready for the promo portion of the show? I've been waiting for the, at least the last seven or eight minutes for your promo. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it every week. So let's go. Yeah, the Penn State Blitz podcast. It's available every Thursday. So don't forget, Bob, if you subscribe, you yeah. get it early as soon as it comes out. Bonus. So keep that in mind. Don't yes. forget to like, rate, and subscribe on Apple. Leave us right. some feedback. You can watch those videos and all the videos from Joe Hermit and everybody else at youtube.com slash all Penn State. And don't forget to subscribe there as well. I mean, Joe was a busy guy this weekend. He's staking out Matt McGloin, the former Penn State coach in the Vince McMahon. What, I don't know. What FL is it? XFL. XFL. XFL Vince McMahon. I, all I know is I watched Matt McGloin. He did some nice things for the New York team. I know Joe Hermit was there. Probably took about 11,000 photos. It's worth checking out. Let's move this along, though, Greg. And talk about our man, Matt Limegrover, Penn State's offensive line coach from 2016 through 2019. As we talked about it earlier, James did not renew his contract. Went a little while before he landed a new home, but it looks like he's going to be uh, employed by Penn State West, the Michigan Wolverines. So you can, you can stack him on top of their OC, Josh Gaddis, another member of James Franklin's staff a couple years back, as you said. He is not in like in a coaching ca- uh, capacity. Is he an analyst? Right. So don't forget about good old Bob Shoup is there. Can't as well, forget about Bob Shoup. It is. Coach. It is literally Penn State West. It is. Yeah. So is it Northwest? 
Yeah, northwest? let's west. not try and do that. Okay. We'll just say west. West. Easier. I think it is northwest. All right, good. But We'll, we'll come back to that. Maybe Don't we'll me. get ready. The mailbag's coming and some geography will be involved. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the reports are that, that Lime Grover's going to, to Ann Arbor as yeah. a senior offense and, and an analyst. And we've seen every program really kind of follow the Nick Saban model of looking for as big of an analyst department as possible. And the roles that those guys have is pretty undefined. Right. But I think what you're always looking for is somebody with a lot of experience who can really uh, dissect tape and break down tape, not just of opponents, but of your own team and say, okay, this is what we're doing well. This is what we're not doing well. This is how we fix it. And this is how we scheme better. Because let's be honest, a modern assisting coach does all of that, right. undoubtedly. But the time they spend recruiting is so great at this point in time between electronic communication and everything else yeah. that the more sets of eyes you can have when those guys have to do recruiting stuff, the better off you're going to be. So I think Jim Harbaugh looks at it and says, this is a big 10 guy who's been around for a long time. You know, I think that there were some people who thought maybe Jim Harbaugh hired him to get insight on James Franklin's program. I don't really think that's the case. I just think that he respects Matt Lime Grover, who's again, been around this conference, been around the game a long time. And, and he thinks that he can help, you know, move that program forward. Yeah, and to be, to be honest, I think I, I hate to say it, but I, Michigan really needs some help, especially I think on the offensive side. I, I think that the offense really has been lacking. Uh, they did some good things late in the season under Josh Gaddis, but they still, they still, you know, they can't really match up with Ohio State. They can't score with Ohio State. Right. Um, they couldn't score with Penn State this year. So I'm like you. I don't really know what Matt's going to be doing, but I think, especially on the offensive side. The more experience I think Jim can kind of collect, I think the better, you know, that offense will be. And you're an eagle eye. You had also mentioned to me something about one of the Penn State. Was it a Penn State grad assistant or a Penn State? Somebody joined the Notre Dame staff. Yeah, so it was one of Penn State's analysts, John McNulty, the former coach at Rutgers. He is now reportedly going to Notre Dame as the tight ends coach, according to The Athletic. He was the tight ends coach at Rutgers. I think he's been at Penn State for maybe a year and a half. I don't know if I'd put that on my resume, like if I was an assistant coach at Rutgers. I think that may be part of the reason it took him a little bit of I time would just, to I, find I'd just get job. the white out, just, yeah. just take a line through it, and just say, look, I went, I went walkabout for it, two years. It was just, a high Just kind of walking around. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was not, I was a lot of places. I was never at Rutgers. Yes, that's, uh, that would not be the worst thing in the world, I wouldn't think. Okay, that's. I think we're about three segments, three downs in. Not three segments, three downs in. Three doors down. You don't even know who that is. Anyway, oh, I do. Let's let's move along <laughs> to the Penn State mailbag. All right, let's do it, Bob. So this week it's a little bit slow in question land because there's just not much going on. Uh-huh. But are you impressed that James Franklin was able to dip into the SEC to pry an assistant coach away from not a top of the line SEC right. program, but one that you know obviously has a little bit of money to spend considering it brought Will Muschamp in and has some other high profile names on right. staff. So was that impressive to you or is it just a sign of the times not only with James Franklin but the money that Sandy Barber has been willing to spend on assistant coaches? Uh, I think it sound it, it feels to me like it was an impressive fallback land for James if we if we're going on the assumption that he wanted Elijah as his guy, he was one. Maybe maybe John Scott was 1A, maybe he was 2, but you know, if you look through his resume and you look at some of the people he's coached and developed, you know, to be able to do that, you know, in early February, I, th- I think absolutely. Let's put it this way. As we talk about it now, I certainly am a little bit more optimistic about the Scott hire than I am about the Stubblefield hire. I just think that the guy's been, the guy's never really uh, had roots anywhere. 
kind of makes you wonder about that. He's, I know he's on record saying no matter what they want to, no matter who comes looking for him next year, he wants to stay at Penn State and kind of build a little bit of a brand of his own. We'll see. But as far as John Scott goes, he's got tough shoes to fill. I mean, I know that he's done some nice things, but I mean, trying to follow in Sean Spencer's uh, footsteps, you know, is not going to be easy. Although, you know, Sean Spencer had tough shoes to fill when he was, he essentially replaced Larry Johnson here. And maybe he didn't get quite there because of Larry's length of work, but what he was able to do in six years at Penn State and develop guys like Carl Nassib and some other players, I think you really got to you know, tip your cap to uh, to Coach Spencer. I'm really going to be fascinated to, to see what the Giants' defensive line looks like the next couple of years. Can I get on my soapbox for just a second? Just I would to love, is it about that, Bill O'Brien in that playoff game no. that cost you all that money? I'm a, uh, we're not over that completely, okay. but you just picked the scab off, so thank you very much. Let's just try and make something hopefully clear for future references. When Penn State has an opening, it doesn't mean they're going to go hire LeVar Arrington or another former <laughs> player who's never coached before right. to come in and coach at a top 15 program. We get a lot of questions about that. Just to set the record straight, if you're a top 15 program and you're hiring someone who's never coached at this level before, you better have a good reason. He better have been like a longtime NFL coach who comes to college for the first time because otherwise you're almost always going to take a step back. So, okay, that wasn't a mailbag How question. How long was but, that bugging you for – like were you getting some feedback from fans on that? Or? Um, A little bit. There were some, some were they interesting curiosity. Yeah. I wouldn't say chirping, just suggesting that maybe Penn State looks at someone who had played defensive line or played yeah. – why isn't and, Tom Bahali the next defensive line coach like that? Uh, he actually wasn't one that came uh, up. But, I want to mention him. I uh, love Tomba. Yeah. One of my favorite players. And there's some, there's some former players who mentor high school players who train and I know you're they could about. very well be good coaches, but it's just tough at this point Absolutely. where Penn State is as a program to go get somebody who's never coached or recruited at this level before that's all that's all i wanted to say i have a penn state mailbag question for you good i saw a prominent espn analyst i think his name's seth greenberg called the penn state hoops team yeah final four quality now i know you're a football guy but i also know you have your ear to the ground when it comes to the men's basketball team pat chambers and the and the players are having a phenomenal uh season especially in the big 10 is uh, what what uh, Mr. Greenberg said, do you think, can you see a scenario where you could see Penn State's hoops in the f- men's hoops in the Final Four? I certainly think that at worst they're a Sweet 16 Ooh. to an Elite 8 caliber team. Okay. I mean, they more often than not, they play strong defense. They've proven that now that they can win away from home yeah. and at the Bryce Jordan Center. And they've won without some of their best players at times, either sitting out because of foul trouble or illness or what have you. So... It is, yeah, I think you have to buy in, even though our, you know, there's seven to no, by the way, since our good buddy Dave Jones, um, declared that he would have to be in Indianapolis Thursday, the Big Ten tournament to <laughs> make sure he saw the game that they played. They're now trending towards playing Friday as one of the top four. Dave's watching. So this. I just, just want to Dave's listening and watching. Out. So he's, you're probably going to get a phone call. Yeah. That's okay. I'll probably get one anyway. All right. But no, I do think that, um, it's a very good team. Yeah. You, you, I know that many Penn State basketball fans and those who just follow it casually as football or wrestling fans are probably always waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah. because it always has with this program. But, man, I'll tell you what, they connect the dots really well in terms of what they need to do to, to, do to win in a conference that, you know, is arguably one of the best in the country this year. So, yeah, you know, I'll respect his opinion. And certainly if he thinks mm-hmm. they're Final Four worthy, they, they are. Uh, but to me, just watching this group, 
Elite Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen certainly seem to be in play. I'm gonna hold you to that. Any more mailbag stuff? Yeah, let's end it with this. You're completing or completed. I'm not sure which. Your uh, sort of look at the Lions and winner and yeah. the position groups. Now that you're about through that list, mm-hmm. the one position group that you were surprised by, maybe that has some work to do that you thought was further ahead. Is there one, or you think that they are Penn State's in good shape across the board? Uh, well, I wouldn't say surprised. When I look at the spots where Penn State's going to need some players to step up or some young players to develop, even James Franklin said the wideouts, that's the obvious answer. I still think defensive tackle is, is a concern. And I, I just did, I was not thrilled with the way that the secondary played down the stretch against the pass I mean they had some nice moments against the run but against Minnesota against Indiana against Memphis at times against Ohio State either missed tackles uh, not tracking the ball just just too many issues I know they have some young talented corners I like some safeties but to me I really think that if the secondary can't play better than they did last year I just don't know how you're gonna how you're actually gonna challenge a team like Ohio State, even though Ohio State comes to uh, Beaver Stadium, I believe, this year. Secondary for me is I think they can do it, but I just thought they would be a little bit better. And that's even say, even though Lamont Wade, I thought, had a nice year in kind of a breakout, especially against the run. I just thought in coverage they were a little bit lacking, and I think they got to get a lot better. All right, Bob, it's time for a timeout on the Penn State Blitz. Do you want to do James Franklin's 40-yard dash to get the attention of the official, or should I? I think you should do it. All right, we'll You're be right Penn State Blitz podcast rolls on. I'm Bob Flounders in the studio with Greg Pickle. Greg, we're talking about Penn State and their presence in the 2020 NFL Combine. There's some schools with more guys, but they've got five, a solid five. We we took the test before we started talking about this. We can name all five of them. I'm going to name three, and you name the other two. You ready? Yeah. I'll take the easy way out. I'll take Etor Gross Matos. Mm-hmm. K.J. Hamler yep. and Cam Brown. And I'll take John Reed and Robert Windsor. All right. There you go. That five was, for five. That, Any, was, that was pretty easy. Yeah. It was uh, It was a no-brainer, I think, for the folks that okay. put the invite list together. Anyone you're surprised not to see in Indianapolis? Yeah. I was reading some articles about uh, some potential combine snubs. I'm not quite sure. I mean, the name Jan Johnson came up, the linebacker, Penn State's starting middle linebacker the last two years. Former walk-on, former Pennsylvania high school state wrestling champion, just at a really, really, really uh, scholar athlete and every student athlete, every sense of the word. Uh, smart player, very, uh, very underrated athletically. I know Brent Pry and James Franklin really were impressed what he was able to do the last two years. But there's only so many linebackers you can take to the combine. I don't know if he's a snub. I would have liked to have seen him at the combine. Also, just wanted to point out. Even though he didn't play for Penn State, Tommy Stevens was not invited to the Combine. Had a very so-so year uh, at Mississippi State. Actually lost the job. Intriguing athlete. Had trouble staying healthy. But, man, I, I just remember in 2016, Greg, and maybe watching him play uh, in mop-up duty in that Maryland game in 2017 when he ran for over 100 yards. I thought, this guy's definitely going to make it to the Combine. He's, he's blocked right now. He's going to get one year at Penn State. Coaches and, and NFL people are going to fall in love with his arm talent and his size, but I don't know if I'm surprised he didn't make it. But I thought I, th- I think the team still might want to 
learn a little bit more about Tommy. Yeah, I think so too. I think they'll want to learn more about him and what he's able to do in a number of different ways, even though he wasn't as yeah. successful as maybe it looked like he was going to be at one point in time. Steven Gonzalez, you know, he came back mm-hmm. for another year. I thought maybe he would get a look. He does not. We'll see how that all plays out. But for the most part, and I agree with your thoughts on Jan Johnson, you know, I think they got the right five Penn State players. And you know, we've seen guys test well at Pro Day, even though mm-hmm. they didn't make it to the Combine. Right. And then they earn private workouts after that. I believe Deion Barnes was like that. DeAndre Tompkins, now in the XFL, was like that. So it's not the end of the road for those guys by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. But um, this is a group that is maybe not as, you know, they're not, I don't know if any of these guys are going to necessarily wow the uh, the testing numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they will in some ways because Penn State guys trained by Dwight Gault usually do. Mm-hmm. But I will be interested to see how John Reed runs. I'll be interested to watch the analysis of Cam Brown and how they see him at Mm -hmm. the next level. And then with the three other guys, you know, Etor and KJ will, you know, to to backtrack on what I just said, those two will probably blow the roof off of some testing numbers. KJ Hamlin Um, might be the fastest guy at the combine. He could run sub 4 3. Let me rephrase that. The underclassmen will test very well. The senior guys will be interesting to watch and see how they test. So yeah. I think I've buttoned that up about as best I can at this point. That's okay. I always thought that e- uh, Yitor, it's Yitor, not Yitor. I learned that on on one of his interviews after he left Penn State. I always thought he could add size and, it's, and add strength. I'll be curious to see his strength numbers at the combine. Not that it's absolutely critical for an edge rusher to be super strong at 21, whatever, whatever age he is. But I'm just curious to see what his strength numbers look like. And also... Um, I kind of really feel that Cam Brown's going to have to run well. Like, I, I don't know if Cam Brown runs four seven or high four sixes. I don't know what 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 they do with him because they're still trying to figure out his ideal role. I think at the next level, he he certainly physically looks like he can do a lot of things and he could play special teams for an NFL team. But if he wants to get drafted anywhere other than late, like maybe mid, maybe fourth, fifth round, something like that, if he wants to do that, he's going to have to run well, and he certainly looks like. Uh, a little bit of a long strider, but I mean, Greg, if he can, if he can run high four fives, low four sixes, like low four sixes, I think he's going to make himself some money. Yep. The combine comes up at the end of the month. You and I come back up on the Penn State Blitz podcast next week. And where it is, Bob, there's going to be a new studio involved. That's the word. That's the word. Can't wait. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Penn State Blitz. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave your feedback. And remember, if you subscribe, you'll get the podcast a day early. Otherwise, it's on Penn Live every Thursday. We'll see you next week.